0: with me in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 23. We're looking at verses 1 through 8, actually jumping ahead over 22, although we will refer back to it as part of our study of 23, 1 through 8. Jeremiah 23, beginning our reading in verse 1. Hear the word of God. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my flock. You have scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold. And they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved, In Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when they shall no longer say, as the Lord lives, who brought up the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives, who brought up and led the offspring of the house of Israel out of the north country and out of all the countries where he had driven them, then they shall dwell in their own land. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the scriptures which are able to make us wise for salvation. And Father, we pray that that would be the case with this text before us tonight. That we would know the Lord. That we would know you. That we would grow in grace. And that we would be under the rule of the Son of David. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. In the Old Testament it was the case that as went the king, so went the people. This was true particularly in regard to the spiritual tone of the nation. It wasn't always the case. We think of Josiah and his reforms. and have even seen some instances and evidence of that in our study of Jeremiah, where while he was able to reform some of the practice. In Israel, on the outside, uh, nevertheless, the people 's hearts were not changed, and many continued, even if secretly, to worship pagan gods of the Canaanites around them but generally, it was true if the king was just, if the king loved and served the Lord, if the king sought to enforce the covenant in the land, then overall the religious and spiritual tone of the nation was much was was much better than, uh, as was more often the case, a king who seemed to be leading the way in pursuing evil and idolatry and covenant unfaithfulness. Largely, the problems in Israel rested with the leadership, and especially with the king. And that's why in the the scriptures and the prophets, uh, very often the king is the one who's in the crosshairs. And that's been the case. We Looked uh, last time at chapter 21 in Zedekiah, the last king before Jerusalem fell. Uh, but there were other kings in that time before him that chapter 22 takes up with, and we'll glance at those and their, their character here in just a minute. But the fact is, for the people of Israel, people of Judah, to be what they could be and what they were called to be, uh, they needed a better king. They needed a king who would lead them and not just lead them, but example before them and even provide for them the righteousness before God that they needed to have. Well, in this passage, the Lord, after chastening, uh, especially the, the, the last few kings of Judah, the last few who sat on David's throne in Jerusalem, then describes how he will provide the king that they need. But not just the king that they need, the king that we need today as God's people as well. And so let's look at this passage uh, that talks about this king that the Lord promises, the king that we need. In the first place, he'll be unlike the failed shepherds of Israel. Verses 1 and 2 begin with this pronouncement of woe. Uh, We saw the same term in the New Testament this morning where Jesus says, Woe to that one by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. Here, woe to the shepherds, uh, a pronouncement of judgment, an indication of God's, not only God's displeasure, but his wrath. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Well, who is he talking about? Well, it could be all of them who failed to carry out their duties the way they should have. But there are a few in particular that are in mind. We mentioned uh, Zedekiah. Zedekiah who uh, was a vacillating, weak king. He did send to Jeremiah for help for from the Lord, uh, and yet, as we saw, that really was just to presume on God's grace because he himself uh, did not really walk with the Lord, nor did he lead the people in that way, but in times of distress, inquires of the Lord. But there were others. Look at chapter 22, verse 11. We read there, thus says the Lord concerning Shalom, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, uh, also known as Jehoahaz, uh, 2 Kings 23, 31 and following, uh, reigned in place of Josiah. Now, Josiah did try to uh, follow the Lord and tried to bring Judah back, uh, reinstituting Uh, The Passover, reinstituting various aspects of the law that are found there. But he couldn't change the heart of the people. And we read of this Shalom, this Jehoahaz. He reigned instead of Josiah. He went away from this place. He shall return here no more. But in the place where they've carried him captive, there shall he die. He shall never see this land again. Woe to him who builds his house by unrighteousness and his upper rooms by injustice. Injustice. Well, then another one, Uh, verse 18, chapter 22, verse 18. Thus says the Lord concerning Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah. Again, read about him in 2 Kings 23. They shall not lament for him, saying, Ah, my brother or ah, sister, they shall not lament for him. Verse 19, with the burial of a donkey, he shall be buried, dragged, and dumped beyond the gates of Jerusalem. Because of his, his wickedness, because of his lack of responsiveness to the Lord. Another failed shepherd, uh, verse 24, uh, Coniah, also known as Jehoiachin, as I live, declares the Lord, though Coniah the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, with a signet ring on my right hand, yet I would tear you off and give you into the hand of those who seek your life, into the hand of those of whom you were afraid, even into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, into the hand of the Chaldeans. Verse 28, is this man Coniah a despised broken pot, a vessel no one cares for? Verse 30, write this man down as childless, a man who shall not succeed in his days. None of his offspring shall succeed in sitting on the throne of David and ruling really again in Judah. So when verse, verse 1 of chapter 23 says, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter. It has reference to all the bad ones, but especially those last few who, uh, who were just terrible and who basically presided over the dissolution of Judah And Jerusalem, they failed in their task. Look at verse one. They scattered the sheep of my pasture, the very opposite of the role of shepherd, which was to gather, to bring in the sheep, to keep them together, to keep them safe. They scatter them. And so they are destroyed. Verse two, therefore, thus says the Lord, you have scattered my flock, not even just passively, you have driven them away and you have not attended To them, You see, they were supposed to attend to them. They were to care for them. They were to provide for them, to bind up the wounded, uh, to feed them, to guard them. And these things they were not doing. And so the Lord, in response, says at the end of verse 2, Behold, I will attend to you. And a play on words is evident in the ESV and uh, other translations generally reflect that. The Lord says, You have not attended to them. You've not cared for them. Well, I'm going to care for you. I'm going to attend to you. How so? Will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. So this wasn't just neglect. This was not just incompetence. It was evil on the part of these kings who scattered the people, paved the way for their destruction, led them astray. They're under God's judgment. Notice these are God's sheep. Verse 1, the sheep of my pasture. Ultimately, these kings, these shepherds, were not the owners of the sheep, but the under shepherds of the one true shepherd. They're the Lord's sheep, and they have been derelict in their stewardship of those sheep. And so the Lord pronounces His judgment upon them that He will attend to them for their evil deeds. But you see, the king we need will not be like these these failed, evil shepherds of the flock. It will be different. Rather, under him, verses 3 and 4 tell us the flock will be gathered. The flock will be brought together. Look at verse 3. The Lord says, Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they will fear no more, nor be dismayed. Neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. So under this king and under the Lord, the flock will be gathered. Notice verse, uh, the first verse there, verse 3, that it will be a remnant. I will gather the remnant of my flock out of the countries where I have driven them. Notice it's the Lord who drives them in his judgment, dispersing them, the exile. The Lord says, I'll bring back at least a remnant of them, bring them back to their fold. And they shall be fruitful and multiply. An interesting reflection of the language of Genesis there, this new beginning, this new start. Bringing them back to the fold, not just their their land, but the fold in terms of their their covenant relationship with the Lord. Where they belong, where they should be, not just geographically, but spiritually. They will be fruitful, they will multiply, they will have shepherds who will care for them, they will no longer be afraid or dismayed, neither shall any be missing. Now, the king did set the tone, but no doubt there were those in Judah who were distressed. People like Jeremiah and others, other faithful, uh, who followed Yahweh, followed the Lord. And this verse, even in those dire times, would be an encouragement for them that it was not all lost, that it was not all over, but that the Lord promises that there would be this Return. And indeed, there was. The remnant came back. We read about it as they come out of Babylon. They were released and people begin to go back to Jerusalem. We read about it in the leadership under Zerubbabel, the governor, and Ezra, and Nehemiah. And things were good. Not perfect, but good, but also not glorious. In fact, when the temple was rebuilt, those who had a remembrance of the former temple wept part and joy and in part because the new one was so pitiful compared to the old glorious temple that they couldn't help but uh, shed tears. It, it wasn't the same. And it wasn't because that, that return merely foreshadowed a greater return. We'll look at that in just a minute as we look into verses 5 and following. But for now, it's worth going back and revisiting verses 1 through 4. And look at the scattering of the sheep and the Lord's promise to bring them back. Um, That's something that goes on today as well. The king was the political leader of Israel. He was also the one who set the tone for the the, the religious and spiritual uh, atmosphere. And as such, he was a religious leader as well. Yes, there were the priests. Yes, there was the, 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 the sacrificial system and all that. But much fell on the king. Uh, He was, in a real sense, the shepherd of the flock of Israel. Well, in the current day, in our situation, which is not Old Testament Israel, uh, we have to look at the church and those who shepherd the flock and and what they are doing. And you look at many churches, denominations, even congregations today, uh, and you see a flock being scattered. Sadly, in, in one sense, tragically might be a better word, The mother denomination from which we came, the PCA came, uh, which actually no longer exists, but uh, merged to form the mainline church, uh, continues to hemorrhage members at a record rate. Why? Well, you look at the things they promote. You look at the things they stand for. Uh, Others, the the Episcopal Church in the United States, uh, with its absolute determination to... uh, to approve the ordination of practicing non-repentant homosexuals to so-called gospel ministry. People are leaving in droves. Sheep are being scattered. Some go to other churches. Some go to no church at all. Uh, Does this word not apply to those who hold the word of the Lord, who declare the word of the Lord, and yet abuse that responsibility and that privilege by promoting what is evil? rather than what is good. And, and it's a word of rebuke for those of us who hold uh, the position of elder or shepherd, under-shepherd to the Lord Jesus in this congregation and in the PCA as well. But we, have, we are reminded in verses 3 through 4 that it is the Lord's flock and that He is at work. And ultimately, whatever we see in the church that discourages, whatever we see in the church that might dismay, Uh, The Lord is ruling. The Lord is going to bring his sheep in. The Lord is going to gather his flock, which was a natural word that would be used of a shepherd gathering his flock. But it's also a word that's frequently used in the Bible for the Lord bringing his people out of exile, out of their lost condition, out of their being sent away. And what a magnificent picture of the work of the church now as the Lord works through his church to gather his sheep out of the exile of their sin, out of the lostness of their sin to himself. I think it's not um, coincidental that Jesus speaks of having sheep that are not of this fold. Sheep he must reach and draw to himself or his words to the Pharisees and those who did not believe in him Uh, He says to them, you do not believe my voice because you are not my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Uh, Jesus was a fulfillment in the new covenant context, the New Testament of these verses of bringing God's people in out of exile. So under him, under this glorious Messiah, who this king who would be so much more even than Zerubbabel, even more than Ezra, even more than Nehemiah the flock of God would be gathered together. And they will have a king who will reign in righteousness. Look at verses 5 through 6. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. This is the name by which he will be called, the Lord our Righteousness. It refers to him as a branch, which in and of itself is a picture of uh, unfolding life in, in vitality and in fruitfulness, whether growing out of, a, out of a, a larger limb of a tree or a shrub or growing out of the ground. Uh, this is a word that refers to the Messiah, and this word for branch is found in other places in fact, it, it comes up among David's King David's last words in Second Samuel twenty-three verse five. David says, "For does not my house stand so with God? For He has made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure. For will He not cause to prosper all my help and my desire?" That word "prosper" is a verb form of the same form, uh, same word for branch. Will he not grow like a branch, like a fruitful branch, to prosper, to have life and fruitfulness and vitality? Will he not cause to prosper all my health and my desire? Psalm 132.17, the Lord says, I will make a horn to sprout for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. It's used to the Messiah in other passages. A couple of times in Zechariah. Uh, Zechariah three eight six twelve, 6.12. Uh, Isaiah. Uses In English, it's translated branch. It actually is a different word in Hebrew, but it's the same idea. 11.1 1 of Isaiah, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. But not just a branch, a righteous branch, Jeremiah says. In other words, he's all that a ruler should be. All that these other kings ideally would have been. Uh, A true descendant of David, who like 2 Samuel 8.15 tells us, David administered justice and equity to all his people. Uh, Well, that's what this righteous branch would be like. Unlike the uh, sorry former occupants of David's throne that we've looked at earlier. Uh, And then he says, the name by which you will be called, the Lord is our righteousness. Jehovah Zedekinu, the Lord is our righteousness, which actually is reversed a little bit of a play on the name Zedekiah, my righteousness is the Lord, Uh, but this one will be the Lord is our righteousness. In other words, this messianic king, this branch is the very embodiment of the truth that the Lord is the one who provides and constitutes all that is made up of righteousness, All that's embodied in righteousness for his people. The Lord is our righteousness. Not linguistically, but in terms of salvation, in terms of our relationship to the Lord. Righteousness is very closely linked with salvation, uh, especially as you get in the New Testament. And so this, in a sense, hints at another name that was to be given, the name of Jesus the Lord is salvation. I like one, uh, one scholar's comment on this passage talking about that. The Lord is our righteousness. The Lord is righteousness. In the name of Jesus, the Lord is salvation, which, of course, is, requires righteousness for salvation. Uh, he says of this, he says, One can picture Jeremiah happily nodding his assent to what he would have regarded as a perfectly satisfactory, indeed equivalent, fulfillment of this prophecy. The Lord is salvation. Jesus, the Lord, is righteousness. And so here will be this king who will reign the way the others should have, who will reign in true and faithful righteousness. As a king, deal wisely. Justice, righteousness in the land. Judah will be saved. Israel will dwell securely. All that should have happened and ideally would have under these other human fallen kings. But then last, in verses 7 and 8, this Messiah will usher in a glorious restoration. He sort of, with verses uh, 5 and 6, looks into the future and sees something of the coming of the Messiah, this ideal king, this perfect ruler, who will bring righteousness, who will bring salvation, who will bring security. Now he's, he, he zooms back out a little bit from that, back to more of his own day, closer to his own day, that speaks of this restoration that's going to take place. Verse 7, the holy days are coming when they'll no longer say, as the Lord lives who brought up the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt, which is what they would say. That was the great saving work of God. But with an eye toward the restoration of the remnant, verse 8, As the Lord, they'll say, rather, as the Lord lives who brought up and led the offspring of the house of Israel out of the north country, Babylon, and out of all the countries where he had driven them, then they will dwell in their own land. The people did experience a new exodus. As we said, God brought them out of exile and they go back to Jerusalem and they rebuild the walls, they rebuild the temple, and they begin anew. But in many ways, that exodus didn't even have the glory of the first exodus. It really wasn't accompanied by the magnificent wonders that God performed to bring Israel out of Egypt with the plagues and The institution of the Passover and then the parting of the Red Sea and the miraculous deliverance there. This was really almost more of a trickle. of People back to Jerusalem, going back, trying to rebuild, trying to get things started again. Um, Enemies who oppressed them, who opposed them. And it's, he almost, it almost leaves you scratching your head as you know the rest of the story. One might have expected something magnificent as people flock back to Jerusalem and it's restored in grandeur and splendor, but that's not what happened. Well, did the Lord fail? Did he let them down? Well, no, because ultimately even that pointed to something far grander, a more glorious exodus in Christ, uh, one to which this... Pointed. And it was a restoration, not so much of real estate as it was relationship. Uh, we think of um, what Paul wrote in the book of Romans. The problem with Israel wasn't so much the land. The land represented something else. It represented their covenant relationship with God. And when that relationship was there, they could enjoy the land. But when they turned from the Lord, he had told them early on he would cast <laughs> them out of the land. And so this restoration involved that trickle back to the land. But it was really more a restoration of relationship. Paul says in Romans 3.10, None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. That's the problem. But God's provision Verse 21, now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, though the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. You see, we have a righteous king. We have a righteous branch, the Lord Jesus Christ, who provides us that relationship through his own righteousness. The righteousness of God, Paul argues, becomes Possession of all who have put their trust in Jesus so that we have that restored relationship with God. Because as goes the king, so go the people. All too often, the kings of Israel and Judah led the people into sin, into rebellion, into wickedness. But we have a king who is the Lord, our righteousness. As goes the king, so go we. Our king is righteous. Our king is perfect. And our King grants righteousness and salvation to all who trust in Him. You see, it was a restoration of relationship more than real estate. But it does involve real estate too. Eventually it involves real estate. Matthew 5.5, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Far from leading us back to the east end of the Mediterranean Sea. The Lord is going to give to His people the entire earth. Relationship and real estate. Forgiveness. Righteousness. The whole world. That's what I call a good shepherd. That's what I call a king who delivers. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for our King. Lord Jesus, we praise You as our King. And pray that by your grace, we would submit gladly and fully to your reign in our lives. Father, we pray that as you work in our hearts, that sin would recede, would fade, and more and more the reign of Jesus would be dominant and real and overwhelming in our lives. Father, we look forward to that most glorious restoration with the return of our King and the new heavens, in the new earth, when all of these promises will be fulfilled in the grandest way possible, far beyond what we could ask or imagine. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.